0: Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Before I preach this morning, I'd just like to echo some of what has been shared about North, and I wondered what to say about North, and I mention it a bit uh, when I preach in a minute, but then um, I I found Wendy Virgo's blog, and it sums up what happened at North far better than any words I could use. She's quite a gifted writer, you you understand what I mean. She calls her... Her blog for uh, this particular passage, Glorious Mud. Do mud and glory go together? Well, there is a case to be made for it. Last weekend, Terry and I were at a camp in Yorkshire. It was August, but it might as well have been November. It was cold and it rained a lot. Consequently, as... Happens when two and a half thousand people with cars and trailers are moving around a flat grassy field in torrential rain, the ground got churned up. The mud was truly spectacular. Brownish grey, slippery, with pools of water lying in the furrows. Deep and a bit smelly. It got on everything. Clothes, bags, Bibles, kids. It hadn't occurred to us to bring wellies, but I was thankful to borrow a tasteful pair in green, decorated with daisies. Nice. So, a nod in the direction of femininity and style there then. There were all sorts of people camping, young and old, families with babies and teenagers. I'm ashamed to say we stayed off-site. No, I'm lying. I'm deeply grateful. But I was still totally in awe of mothers who were carting their kids around in the rain, cheerfully sporting muddy jeans, wet jackets and plastic bags on their heads in the absence of suitable headgear. I only once heard an exasperated mum venting her wrath on some urchin who presumably had been wallowing a little too enthusiastically and got his last pair of dry jeans wet and filthy. Actually, I thought her response was fairly mild. It reminded me of a Bible week many moons ago when Anna and Joel stomped around deliberately in a mud puddle and then came into the caravan. You just had to take wooden spoons with you everywhere in those days. The surprising thing was that complaining was so rare at North, it was practically non-existent. Maybe those Northerners are made of tougher stuff. They live there after all, under constantly grey, lowering skies I believe, and just get on with life. But they didn't just not complain, they worshipped God wholeheartedly in every session. They served one another diligently, they listened to the preaching attentively, and they gave spectacularly. I'm going to talk about the giving in just a minute. What is it that makes people spend their bank holiday weekend camping in such extremely unpleasant conditions? trying to sleep, shivering in damp sleeping bags, splashing through thick mud to go anywhere, queuing for the loos and the showers, and living on sausages in baps. This is not just the famous British stiff upper lip. There were people there from Canada, Scandinavia and Ireland. At West Point they also came from India, Spain and Portugal. They were like the early Christians. Sharing their lives together, worshipping, praying and learning from the Apostles' Doctrine. Having all things in common, even Wellington boots. People were healed, many were filled with the Spirit. Some responded to God's call to take the Gospel to other locations, even over sleeves. They are together on a mission. Not just for this last weekend, but in everyday life. Yes, there was something glorious about it. If you haven't got the dates in your diary for next year, I'd encourage you to put them in now. All right, It's the August bank holiday weekend for 2012. And I'm sure Moenna and I are going to be there and it will be great to see a whole lot of you with us. Anyway, welcome back. I hope you've had a great summer. I mean, certainly Moenna and I have benefited from the change of pace over the past few weeks. And we spent some time, as you know, in Keswick and then in Oban, catching up with friends and taking the opportunity just to slow down a little. And then we had a great time at North. And it was great to be able to just spend time with all those who were there. To benefit from Terry's teaching and from others. To marvel at the generosity of God's people. Because I haven't told you yet, but the Brighton offering at our leadership conference this year was £925,000. Then in addition to that... The week before North, the South had a regional event at West Point, and they raised another £101,000. And then at North, the offering was £132,000. So altogether, between those three events, There's one and a quarter million pound that has been put aside for church planting in this nation and other nations and the extension of God's kingdom. And it's in that regard that Jeremy Simpkins has sent out a message which he's asked us to read in the churches this morning. This is what he says. I just wanted to thank you personally for your amazing support at North." The massive feedback that received so far is that despite the mud, it was the best ever. It was amazing to see so many of your children and young people saved, filled with the Spirit, and stirred up to live for Jesus. The attitude on site was exemplary. I wasn't aware of any grumbling about the weather, just a new seriousness that we are an army of God and we were at his boot camp. And finally, thank you for your amazing generosity. We are so grateful for the wonderful offering of £132,000, which is increasing all the time. With much love to you all, Jeremy. But now, we're back in Doncaster. It's the start of a new term, and I've got to say, I've missed a lot of you. Yeah, even you, Martin. Somehow, we ended last term on something of a high. There was a buzz in the air, because I was sharing what we were hoping to be doing in the build-up to Christmas. And I picked up, there was an excitement about the place. And so I just want to remind you of a few things. We're seeking God to build us to 50 in number. Between now and Christmas. Now actually when as a leadership team we prayed about that, that seemed quite a step. Because on the Sunday, uh, when we looked at our membership and those who come on the Sunday, we were probably at about 30. Even in those few weeks, we've seen our numbers grow. And so like this morning, there's 37 here. And I can think of enough who aren't here because of work or other commitments that we could have easily been over 40. So now, 50 seems like a question whether I should ask myself whether it's faith or just letting the ball roll. But we're launching our four new midweek groups next week. Steve Hurd is coming over each month to encourage us as we build up to a Christmas event. We've got the whole region coming here for a prayer meeting in November on a Sunday evening when the main focus is going to be praying to see breakthrough in Doncaster. And at the same time, we're seeking God over to whether to move to Car House Church and look at all the opportunities that that could provide for us. You know, I feel both excited and exhausted thinking about it all. This year so far, we've spent 20 weeks looking at what some of our key values are. And we finished those off just before the summer. So today, we're starting something new. Between now and Christmas, we're going to be working through the book of Colossians. So I'm going to read this morning from that opening chapter of the book of Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you. And peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope I laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth. The gospel, which has come to you, as indeed the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learnt it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. greetings. Paul starts his letter by sending what seems to be just customary greetings. The letter is probably one of his most powerful and attractive letters. And it was written by him while he was in prison to this young church in Colossae in Asia. The Christian community in Colossae had come into existence During the period of intense missionary and evangelistic activity that we read about when we look at the book of Acts. And it was somewhere around AD 52. Paul had stayed, if you remember, for quite a while in Ephesus. And he'd started holding daily lectures and debates in the Hall of Tyrannus. And that was proving, these evangelistic dialogues he was holding were so effective that his bold speaking compelled people's attention. He probably did it during the long siesta periods that they had in those days. But it was so effective... But Luke claimed that all the residents of Asia heard the word of God, both Jews and Greeks. Now, Paul is also noticeable for the way he trains up and releases others. And so these people that he was seeing converted through his dialogues in the Hua Tyrannus soon became equipped to work alongside him, and he released them to go and spread the gospel, both close at hand and far away. And it seems that during that period, this guy, Epaphras, who had come originally from Colossae, came to faith. And he he seems to have been a hard worker, and he seems to have quite quickly developed into a mature disciple of Christ. And that's acknowledged by Paul. He's in fact referred to as one of his valued fellow servants. It was this man whose privilege it was to become an evangelist to his own people. Because what he did was he went and he planted new churches. He did it in Laodicea, Hierapolis. And then he went back to Colossae. And we know that he worked hard and he prayed continually for those churches. Because sometime later, sometime around AD 62, he visited Paul when he was under house arrest in Rome. And the thing that was reported on was the hallmark of a genuine Christian life. Love. It was said that that was the characteristic of these young Christian communities. But despite all this hard work, despite all this prayer, Epaphras is concerned about things going on that he has spotted. And so he wanted Paul's advice. And this is what causes Paul to write the letter that follows. As we read on through Colossians, what we'll find is that it seems that some false teaching had crept into the church. We can't be quite sure what it was. We're not told. In fact, it's one of those issues that's been discussed time and time again over the years. But what we do know Is it threatened the peace and the stability of this young church? We shouldn't really be surprised. Because even in the seven years we've been here, we have seen people come amongst us who have tried to tie us into legalism or ensnare us with bad teaching or false doctrine. What's interesting though, is Paul's response is a friendly one. What he does is he pleads for continued loyalty, and he talks about these Christians as faithful brethren. But nonetheless, there was obviously a very real threat from harmful teaching. These young Christians were under danger of being imposed upon by possibly quite clever but nonetheless erroneous preaching. Some wonderful new philosophy was being shared that owed more to their religious traditionalism than to Christ. We see and read about such things today. Liberal authors who write books but gently lead us away from the truth of the Bible. Programs on television which build wonderful promises for success that are built upon dubious interpretation of one or two isolated verses. And we need to be careful about that sort of teaching. Timothy tells us that all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness so that the man of God could be competent and equipped for every good work. So we need to be studying it, learning from it, applying it to our lives and then becoming like craftsmen with it. we need to give these early believers some credit. Because what they have done is they have recognised this religious twaddle. When they heard it, they spotted it for what it was. Possibly because it was from where they had so recently been saved. But we must recognise that there is a real danger to faithful brethren. Those who are rooted and grounded in Christ. But that danger doesn't lie so much in false teaching from outside the the church. Like for example the Jehovah's Witnesses. But no, the real danger for the enthusiastic young, young convert comes from error within the churches. Teaching that is largely Christian, but which has been influenced more than it knows by the spirit of the current age. And that's what I think was going on in Colossae. It wasn't that these Christians were so fickle or so foolish that they were tempted to give a fresh hearing to pagan teachers. It was rather that the whole synchronistic religious environment in which their churches existed threatened the purity of the new faith. This attempt to combine elements of all the faiths into one is what we see around us today all the time. We can never be immune from those intellectual pressures. The fashion of our time. Yet we see so clearly the compromises that earlier generations have made. But it's less easy for us to recognise it in our own lives. So how can we recognise Falsehood when it's presented to us. We're going to continue over the following weeks to look at the book of Colossians but it gives us seven hallmarks that will show us. The first one is fullness. When new teachers seem to have offered a spiritual fullness not previously experienced often called fullness of life In fact, from when we read in chapter 2 in Colossians, it appears that might even have been one of the slogans used. This emphasis on fullness is found throughout the letter. And it's obviously important if we're going to assess the significance of some new spirituality. One thing's quite clear. These false teachers came in with a claim that they could complete and perfect the simple faith to which the Colossians have been introduced the gospel and that's what false teachers often do what you have is alright it's a good foundation but now let us just finish it off for you by showing you the extra bits That will really make you Christian. The second hallmark is freedom. A spiritual freedom which those who followed them would enjoy. It might have been something about deliverance of some kind. But Paul repeatedly reminds the Colossians. That deliverance is already theirs in Christ. Paul, in fact, goes on, later on, to accuse these preachers of the liberty of trying to capture believers for what would turn out to be a new slavery. The third hallmark is insight. The visitors seem to have claimed a particular insight into the powers of evil and to be able to give believers special protection. In contrast, Paul holds up Christ. He says he is the one with full authority and the only one over these powers. The victory which all of us have is in Christ. When we read this letter, it needs no room for us to believe that some privileges belong only to some sort of spiritual elite. The fourth mark is aesthetics. The visitors were known for quite impressive self-denial. They fasted. And they seem to have been highly commending that, if not even commanding it. And you need to compare that with Paul's teaching on fasting. The impression you get about Paul is that fasting was for a special purpose. And actually, when Paul fasted, it was largely involuntary. The fifth hallmark is the visitors offered An initiation into a deeper knowledge of God. Some greater experience of his power. And Paul actually is is most effective when he counters those claims. You can find it in particular in chapter 2 verses 8 to 15. And he distinguishes between what is already ours in Christ and what we must yet seek. We need to know there is only one way to deepen our relationship with God and with Christ and that is to spend time in prayer communing with Him. And then the visitors claimed a superiority. In fact, they were even critical of the ordinary believers. And here just like in his other letters Paul is concerned that the hope and the confidence of those of us in Christ could be lost to these super Christians by Christians claiming a more complete Complete initiation into the secrets of God. And then the biggest hallmark of all was they brought disruption. These visitors were divisive in their influence. And disruption in a fellowship has to be the cost of listening to them. In fact, the whole letter to the church in Colossae is a plea for Christian unity. Those seven identifying marks can help us recognise some of the issues at stake as we carry on through what is quite a densely written letter. but something for us in verse after verse. But this letter has a lot to say to the contemporary church. And having identified this, Paul brings his medicine. Many of you will know that we were driving back from north just under a week ago when we got a phone call to say that Becky, our eldest daughter, had suffered some massive infection and was in hospital. The doctors haven't got to the bottom of it. They thought it might be kidneys. They thought it might be gastroenteritis. They thought it could be gynecological. But have never found the seat of infection. But praise God, a combination of prayer and antibiotics have prevailed. And she's now home, recovering. She's still feeling weak. She probably won't be at work for the next few days, certainly. But it's on the mend. And in the same way, Paul treats this infection. He didn't need to know where it was. He brought his medicine to the infection at hand. First of all, he reassures them. He reassures these early young Christians in Colossae, that they are true Christians. He says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope I laid up for you in heaven. He reminds them of the faith that they hold. He reminds them of their love for other believers and of their hope for the future. It's interesting, isn't it? He talks about faith, hope and love. They're things that don't come naturally to us but they're the hallmarks of being spiritually alive. They were known for their faith in Christ. And of course, an essay of Christ's They can't share the love of Christian brotherhood. Because that is a distinctive gift that the Spirit gives to every child of God. And then it's of real importance for us today, as Christians, to be reminded that a genuine spiritual experience is marked by hope. Just as much as it is by faith and love. Hope, in Paul's vocabulary, is to do with the ultimate future. It's that confident assurance and expectancy of the huge blessings that are in store for us in the life to come. And then secondly, Paul reassures them that they have in fact heard the true gospel. He says, Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learnt it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in spirit it's possible that these visitors bringing in this erroneous teaching had started to cast doubts on the completeness of the Christian message as it had been taught to them by Epaphras since the young church had never seen or or even really heard from Paul in person, it would be easy for these new critics to just start to drive a wedge between Epaphras and the rest of the church, or between Paul and Epaphras. The impression could easily be given that there was considerably more in Paul's gospel than Epaphras had shared with them. That would leave the church in Colossae, bewildered, wondering whether what they'd heard was an adequate account. And so against that background, Paul uses some carefully chosen words. He's referring to hope. Of this, you have heard before in the word of truth... The gospel which has come to you as indeed the whole world. You know, the gospel of Christ is nothing less than the truth. It's the truth. It's the whole truth. And it's nothing but the truth. The gospel is just that. We can't add to it. And we can't take anything away from it. The bold claim to possess and preach the truth is always going to be a scandal. But we have to insist that the gospel and its merits can't be compared with the teaching of other religions. Because while they are relative... This is truth for you, but may not be for me. Christianity is absolute. Jesus said, I am the truth. It was this gospel of true grace that the Colossians had learnt from the very lips of Epaphras The implication is, by being called Paul's fellow servant, that he was a conscientious and thorough teacher of that gospel. And we need to learn from this. We need to be discerning readers. Not relying on any author's reputation alone, but comparing what is written to the Word of God, We need to become discerning listeners, when we're watching things, particularly on TV or even downloads, continually questioning the truth of the teaching that we're brought. You know, I want to say to you, as long as you ask this in the right attitude. You should be challenging me. Not just believing everything I bring you. But Actually saying, where does scripture teach us that? And I'm sure those others of us that preach would say the same. We need to be accountable for what we bring to you. But then, having been satisfied that we're faced with a true message... We should be diligent in applying it to our lives, just like the Colossians that Paul praised so much for their acceptance of the gospel. Like them, we should be living in assurance that we are true Christians, born again, and not tempted to look for schemes of men that promise more depth, more freedom, more power this is only one way to find those things although others can help you on the journey it is only through a greater intimacy and openness with god that we find those things i want to commend to you this morning as we work our way through the book of colossians be like this early church be eager be hungry for the truth Apply it with diligence. Test it. And then spend time with God, letting Him breathe the truth into your life. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk